0: Good morning and thank you for joining us on Five at Eight. It's Monday, September 11th, 2023. And here's Linda Carlisle and Mark Overman with today's top news. In this episode, we will talk about a range of news stories from around the world. We'll discuss the controversy surrounding the deletion of a presenter's Facebook profile after an investigation into Meta's censorship of Palestinian content. We'll also cover Ukraine's military claim of foiling a large Russian drone attack Russia's state-owned VTB bank expected to make a record profit, President Biden's strengthened ties with Vietnam, and Mustafa Suleiman's call for urgent regulation of artificial intelligence. Stay tuned for all the latest updates. Story number one. Al Jazeera reports that Tamer Al Mishal, a presenter on Al Jazeera Arabic, had his Facebook profile deleted by Meta, the parent company of Facebook, just 24 hours after his program aired an investigation into Meta's censorship of Palestinian content. The investigation revealed admissions by a former head of Israel's cybersecurity apparatus about efforts to track and remove Palestinian content from Facebook. The program also highlighted the imbalance in how Palestinian content is restricted compared to Israeli content. Al-Mishal's profile was deleted without warning or explanation, and Al Jazeera has asked Facebook for clarification al believes his profile was targeted in retaliation for the program. Will you believe it, Linda? This incident with Meta and Tamer Al-Mashal really throws a spotlight on a growing concern, doesn't it? The fact that Tamer's Facebook profile was deleted shortly after airing an investigation into the alleged censorship of Palestinian content. It's a bit, uh, well, curious to say the least.
1: It certainly does raise concerns about freedom of speech and digital representation— especially when it comes to marginalized communities. Social media platforms have such a profound impact on how narratives are shaped and voices are heard. And, well, this incident seems to highlight an imbalance in how rules
0: are applied. You nailed it, Linda. And it doesn't just stop at the individual level, you know. This incident could open up a broader dialogue about the relationship between these tech giants and nation-states, the influence, the, um, power dynamics... They can shape public discourse in a massive way.
1: The role of social media platforms in shaping public discourse cannot be underestimated. And well, if there's a significant bias in how content is scrutinized, it can contribute to a greater systemic bias. This is not just about Meta or Facebook. It's about the digital landscape as a whole.
0: Couldn't agree more, Linda. We're dealing with a global platform that has billions of users. It's like, uh... The new public square, right? If voices are being silenced or treated unfairly, that's a serious issue. It's not just about one person, one profile. It's about the precedent it sets. If Tamer can be shut down without explanation, it raises the question, who's next?
1: It's a concern that extends beyond this single incident. It calls into question the transparency and accountability of these platforms. And, well... It's not just about ensuring fair representation, it's also about the mechanisms we have in place to challenge these decisions. You know, like Facebook's oversight board.
0: Yep, yep, yep. And let's not forget about the impact on journalism, Linda. Journalists like Tamer are at the forefront of bringing these issues to light. But with this incident, it feels like, um, they're walking on thin ice. One wrong step and, poof, they're silenced.
1: That's a crucial point, Mark. The precarious nature of journalism in the digital landscape is alarming. The power of social media platforms can democratize information, but, paradoxically, it can also suppress it. It's a complex issue and, well, it's a conversation that we need to keep having.
0: Story number two. According to the New York Times, Ukraine's military claims to have foiled a large Russian drone attack on the capital, Kiev. They shot down 26 out of 33 drones launched at the city, with the fate of the remaining seven unclear. The attack is part of a campaign to destroy infrastructure and demoralize the local population. Russia has been regularly launching barrages of missiles, rockets, and drones on Kiev since its invasion of Ukraine 18 months ago. In response, Ukraine has been using its air defense systems to down most of the Russian drones and missiles. There have also been reports of Ukrainian drones being shot down by Russia. In addition to targeting Kyiv, Russia has been directing drone attacks on Ukrainian grain and port facilities near the Danube River, which has raised concerns of dragging NATO into a direct military confrontation with Moscow. Romania, a NATO member, has found debris from a potential Russian drone on its territory, leading to discussions with NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg, as reported by the New York Times. Have you noticed, Linda, the shift in the dynamics of warfare? It's no longer just about boots on the ground or fighter jets in the sky. Technology, particularly drones, has become the new front line. This recent drone attack on Kiev from Russia is just another example of how modern warfare is evolving. We're looking at a tech-driven battle, with unmanned machines causing havoc, not just to the infrastructure, but also, and perhaps more crucially, demoralizing local populations.
1: The psychological impact of these drone attacks can't be underestimated. It's a strategy designed to sow fear and uncertainty among the local populace, making them feel constantly under threat, even when the drones are not directly overhead. But what's even more concerning is the potential for collateral damage to non-combatant nations. The incident where debris was found in Romanian territory is an alarming example of how these conflicts can inadvertently draw in other nations.
0: Oh, you're right there, Linda. I mean, here we have Romania a NATO member finding itself in a predicament because of a drone attack on a nearby Ukrainian port. It's a dicey situation that could potentially escalate into something much bigger. It's like walking on a tightrope with the risk of falling off at any moment. This is something that the international community will need to address urgently.
1: Yes. We have to remember, though, that this isn't just about military confrontation. It's about human lives, about the people who live in these regions and have to deal with the constant threat of violence. The evolution of warfare, while fascinating from a technological perspective, also brings with it an increase in human suffering. It's a grim reminder of the cost of conflict.
0: Story number three. According to Reuters, Russia's state-owned VTB bank, as reported by CEO Andrei Kostin, is expected to make a record profit this year. However, due to last year's losses and the weakened capital base, dividends are unlikely to be paid. Kostin also stated that VTB will audit Russia's United Shipbuilding Corporation and is currently working to buy up rupees in the accounts of Russian exporters in India. Could you believe it, Linda? Despite the sanctions and a major loss last year, VTB is bouncing back with a record profit. It shows how resilient businesses can be, especially in the face of adversity
1: yes it's certainly an unexpected outcome mark but it's important to remember the context here vtb's profit doesn't necessarily signify economic stability i mean the bank isn't even paying dividends this year that's a clear sign of an unstable capital base don't you think
0: well uh i see where you're coming from linda but i think it's a strategic decision they're probably reinvesting that money to stabilize and strengthen their position It's a smart move, if you ask me.
1: Hmm. It could be a strategic move, Mark. Yet one can't ignore the fact that such strategies are often a direct result of the imposed sanctions. And these sanctions are placed due to the bank's ties with the state and its controversial activities. It's not just about resilience, but also about ethics and accountability.
0: Well, I agree, Linda. Accountability is key. But we need to remember that banks like VTB are major economic drivers. They're not just surviving the sanctions— but adapting and finding ways around them. Look at them buying up rupees in the accounts of Russian exporters in India. That's strategy, not just survival.
1: Yes, Mark, they're adapting, but at what cost? And who's truly benefiting here? While the bank makes record profits, what about the average Russian citizen? Are they seeing any benefits or just bearing the brunt of the sanctions?
0: Story number four. President Biden announced during a news conference in Hanoi that the United States has strengthened its ties with Vietnam, as the country officially elevated its relationship with the U.S. to the top level of their bilateral relations. The president emphasized that the U.S. is committed to the Indo-Pacific region and issued a statement seemingly directed at China. Biden also met with Nguyen Phu Trong, the general secretary of the Communist Party of Vietnam, where they discussed improving cooperation human rights concerns were brought up, with activists accusing the U.S. of prioritizing its dominance in the region over promoting democracy and human rights. Vietnam has faced criticism for its authoritarian practices, but it has also pushed back against China's assertiveness in the South China Sea. During the news conference, questions were raised about the U.S.-China relationship, to which Biden stated that he wants a relationship with China that is fair and transparent. He also mentioned that he has not spoken to President Xi Jinping in months. The president's remarks included references to the Third World, which some find offensive, prompting him to correct himself. Biden's visit to Vietnam followed his attendance at the G20 summit in India, where a declaration was issued that did not condemn Russia's invasion of Ukraine. According to the New York Times, the omission was due to Russia and China being members of the G20. But the leaders agreed on the need for justice and lasting peace in Ukraine. The news conference ended abruptly when an aide interrupted to announce its conclusion. Can't help but see this as a strategic move, Linda. President Biden's visit to Vietnam and the strengthening ties between the two nations seems more of a power play against China. It's all about maintaining balance and influence in the Indo-Pacific region.
1: Interesting point, Mark. But isn't it concerning that we're bolstering ties with a nation known for its authoritarian regime and troubling human rights record? This seems to be a departure from our professed commitment to promoting democracy and human rights.
0: Well, Linda, it's not ideal, sure, but sometimes we need to make tough choices in the name of national security. Vietnam's pushback against China's assertiveness in the South China Sea aligns with our interests in the region. You know, it's a bit reminiscent of Cold War strategies.
1: Hmm. I hear you, Mark. But I worry this could backfire. Aligning ourselves with an authoritarian regime might compromise our credibility in promoting democratic values. And just because it was a strategy during the Cold War doesn't mean it's the best strategy now.
0: I get your point, Linda. But let's not forget the larger picture here. Biden's recent attendance at the G20 summit... And the lack of a strong condemnation on Russia's actions in Ukraine suggests a more pragmatic approach to international relations. It's... it's a complicated world out there.
1: It is indeed complicated. But I believe that our actions should always align with our values. If we compromise those, then what do we have left? Let's hope that President Biden's administration can navigate these complex dynamics without losing sight of what we stand for.
0: Story number five. Mustafa Suleiman, CEO of Inflection AI and co-founder of DeepMind, has written a book titled The Coming Wave, Technology, Power, and the 21st Century's Greatest Dilemma, as reported by the New York Times. In the book, Suleiman calls for urgent regulation and containment of artificial intelligence, AI, to avoid the existential threat it poses. He suggests governments appoint cabinet level tech ministers, use advanced chips to enforce global standards, and establish a governance regime for transparency in private AI companies. Suleiman's ideas come as lawmakers discuss AI regulations, and Senate leader Chuck Schumer plans to meet with top tech executives. Suleiman believes his book serves as a love letter to the nation-state, urging policymakers, politicians, and citizens to defend the system of non-commercial checks and balances that hold centralized power accountable. He also proposes a new Turing test to understand AI capabilities and job replacement potential. While some in Silicon Valley are receptive to his ideas, others, like venture capitalist Mark Andreessen, are more skeptical. However, Suleiman sees positive signs of engagement between tech companies and governments in addressing AI regulation. Whoa, Suleiman is really onto something here, isn't he? I mean, the guy co-founded two AI startups and now he's advocating for an urgent shift in how we contain AI. As an entrepreneur, I find it intriguing that he's calling for more regulation when traditionally businesses usually prefer less.
1: I think what Suleiman is trying to highlight here is the double-edged sword that AI represents. It's not just about the economic gains, but also about the societal impact. His call for a cabinet-level tech minister and a governance regime, modeled on the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, it's all about creating transparency and accountability in the private AI sector.
0: Right, Linda. And let's not forget his unique Turing test suggestion. Imagine giving an AI $100,000 and asking it to turn a profit on an online retail platform. If we could actually do that, It's going to tell us a lot about where we're heading in terms of AI replacing human jobs. It's a fascinating yet kind of scary thought, isn't it?
1: Indeed, it does raise some ethical questions. But on the positive side, if AI can indeed take on such tasks, it could potentially free humans to engage in more creative, fulfilling work. It's all about balancing the opportunities with the risks. Suleiman's perspective, though controversial, certainly adds a valuable dimension to this ongoing conversation.
0: Couldn't agree more, Linda. And it looks like the dialogue between tech companies and governments is starting to improve, at least according to Suleiman. That's a step in the right direction, I'd say. We can't afford to ignore the potential of AI. But at the same time, we need to ensure it's harnessed in a responsible and ethical manner.
1: Yes, Mark. It's interesting to see this emerging trend of tech entrepreneurs advocating for more public sector involvement. It's a clear indication of how the narrative is shifting from unchecked innovation, towards a more sustainable and ethical approach to technology development. This is a conversation we all need to be part of.
0: That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow.
1: Five at Eight is researched, written, and performed by artificial intelligence. For more information, visit Botcaster.ai.